0: Just how different is the liberal mind? Maybe a galaxy far, far away. When it comes to biblical truth, Kirby Anderson examines the differences. Now, on Probe. This week we're going to try to understand the liberal mind from a biblical perspective. What are the assumptions liberals make? How do those assumptions square with the Bible? As we begin this discussion, I want to make a clear distinction between the terms liberal and leftist. We often use the terms interchangeably, but there is an important difference. Dennis Prager wrote about this and even described those differences in a PragerU video. His argument is that traditional liberalism has far more in common with conservatism than it does with leftism. Here are some examples he uses to make this point. Liberals and leftists have a different view of race. The traditional liberal position on race is that the color of one's skin is insignificant. By contrast, leftists argue that the notion that race is insignificant is itself racist. Liberals are committed to racial integration. Nationalism is another difference. Dennis Prager says that liberals always deeply believed in the nation-state. Leftists, on the other hand, oppose nationalism and promote class solidarity. Superman comics illustrate the point. When the writers of Superman were liberal, Superman was not only an American, but was also one who fought for truth, justice, and the American way. The left-wing writers of Superman comics have Superman announcing a few years ago that he was going to speak before the United Nations, renouncing his American citizenship. Perhaps the best example is free speech. American liberals agree with the statement, I disapprove of what you say, but I will defend your right to say it. Leftists today are leading the nationwide suppression of free speech everywhere. Capitalism and the free enterprise system would be yet another example. Dennis Prager says liberals have always been pro-capitalism, though they wanted government to play a bigger role in the economy. Leftists oppose capitalism and are eagerly promoting socialism. Liberals have had a love of Western civilization and taught at most universities. In fact, one of the most revered liberals in American history was President Franklin Roosevelt, who talked about the need to protect Western civilization and even Christian civilization. Today, Western civilization classes are rarely, if ever, taught on the university. That's because leftists don't believe Western civilization is superior to any other civilization. Leftists label people who attempt to defend Western values as racist and accuse them of promoting white supremacy and attempts to promote religious liberty are dismissed as thinly disguised attacks on the LGBT community. In conclusion, liberals and leftists are very different. You've been listening to Probe with your host, Kirby Anderson. Get your free copy of Kirby Anderson's transcript, The Liberal Mind, at probe.org. That's probe.org. Then join us next time here on Probe. This week we're talking about the liberal mind, and today I would like to talk about ethics and a belief in right and wrong. The philosophical foundation for most liberal perspectives is secularism. If you don't believe in God and the Bible, then you certainly don't believe in biblical absolutes or even moral absolutes. Dostoevsky put it this way, if God is dead, then everything is permitted. Even atheists admit that a view of God affects human behavior. Richard Dawkins recently expressed his fear that the removal of religion would be a bad idea for society because it gives people license to do really bad things. He likens the idea of God to surveillance, or as he puts it, the divine spy camera in the sky. People generally tend to do the right thing when someone is watching them, they tend to do bad things when no one is watching. It's also worth mentioning that more and more young people aren't making decisions about right and wrong based on logic, but instead based on feelings. I began to notice this decades ago. College students making a statement or challenging a conclusion used to say, I think, as they started a sentence. Then I started to see more and more of them say, I feel, at the start of a sentence. They wouldn't use reason to discuss an issue. Instead, they would use emotion and talk about how they felt about a particular issue. The liberal mind also has a very different foundation for discussing right and wrong. Dennis Prager recently admitted that he had been wrong. All of his life, he has said that the left's moral compass is broken. He has concluded that in order to have a broken moral compass, you need to have a moral compass to begin with, but the left doesn't have one. He doesn't mean that conclusion as an attack. It is merely an observation that the left doesn't really think in terms of good and evil. We assume that other people think that way because we think that way. But that is not how most people on the left perceive the world. Karl Marx is a good example. He divided the world by economic class, the worker and the owner. One group was exploiting the other group. Good and evil aren't really relevant when you're thinking in terms of class struggle. Friedrich Nietzsche, for example, operated beyond good and evil. To the Marxists, there is no such thing as a universal good or universal evil. Those of us who perceive the world from a Judeo-Christian worldview see ethics as relevant to the moral standard, not the person or their social status. A biblical view of ethics and morality begin with the reality that God exists and that he has revealed to us moral principles and we are to apply those to our lives and society. Those absolute moral principles are tied to God's character and thus unchanging. This week we're talking about the liberal mind while often making a distinction between liberals and the left. When it comes to a proper view of human nature, both groups have a naive and inaccurate view. You can discover this for yourself by asking a simple question. Do you believe people are basically good? You'll get an affirmative answer from most people in America because we live in a civilized society. We don't have to deal with the level of corruption or terror that is daily life in so many other countries in the world. But if you press the question, you will begin to see how liberals have difficulty explaining the Holocaust and Muslim terrorism because the liberal mind starts with the assumption that people are basically good. Two world wars, along with other wars, during the 20th century should have caused most people to reject the idea that people are basically good. Now, the Bible teaches just the opposite. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? This statement about the deceitfulness of our heart may seem extreme until we realize that Jesus also taught that out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. This naive view of human nature should concern all of us. Young people, two generations after Auschwitz, believe that people are basically good. One reason is biblical illiteracy, but another reason is historical illiteracy. A recent survey found that two-thirds of young people did not know that six million died in the Holocaust and that nearly half could not name one of the Nazi death camps. This naive view of human nature may also explain another phenomenon we've discussed before. One of the untruths described in the book, The Coddling of the American Mind, is the belief that the battle for truth is us versus them. If you think that people are basically good and you have to confront someone who disagrees with you, then they must be a bad person. They aren't just wrong, they are evil. Tribalism has been with us for centuries. There's nothing new about people joining and defending a tribe, but that has become more intense because of the rhetoric on university campuses and the comments spreading through social media. We don't have to live this way, but the forces in society are making the divisions in society worse by the day. A biblical perspective starts with the teaching that we're all created in God's image and thus have value and dignity, but all of us have a sin nature and we should interact with others who disagree with us with humility and grace. This week we're talking about the liberal mind, and we'll now look at why liberals and the left promote big government. The simple answer relates to our discussion yesterday about human nature. If you believe that people are basically good, then it is easy to assume that political leaders and bureaucrats will want to do the best for their citizens. Christians agree that government is necessary and that it is one of the institutions ordained by God. There's a role for government to set the rules for governing and to resolve internal disputes through a legal system, but government is not God. But for people who don't believe in God, then the state has often become God. Friedrich Hayek wrote about this drive towards big government and the bureaucratic state in his classic book, The Road to Serfdom. He argued in his book that the most important change which extensive government control produces is a psychological change, an alteration in the character of the people. The character of citizens is changed because they yield their will and decision-making to more powerful government. They may have done so willingly in order to have a welfare state, or they may have done so unwillingly because a dictator has taken control of the reins of power. Either way, Hayek argues their character has been altered because the control over every detail of the life is ultimately control of life itself. Friedrich Hayek wrote in The Road to Serfdom to warn us that sometimes the road can be paved with good intentions. Most government officials and bureaucrats write laws, rules, and regulations with every good intention. They desire to make the world a better place by preventing catastrophe and by encouraging positive actions from their citizens. But in their desire to control and direct every aspect of life, they take us down the road to serfdom. He argued that people who enter into government and run powerful bureaucracies often are people who enjoy running not only the bureaucracy, but also the lives of other citizens. In making uniform rules from a distance, they deprive the local communities of the freedom to apply their own knowledge and wisdom to the unique situations. A government seeking to be a benevolent god usually morphs into a benevolent tyrant. The liberal mind is all too willing to allow political leaders and bureaucrats to make decisions for the public. But that willingness is based upon two assumptions. First, human beings are not God, and thus government leaders will certainly make flawed decisions that negatively affect the affairs of its citizens. Second, all of us have a sin nature, and that includes government leaders. Even the best of them will not always be wise, compassionate, and altruistic. That is why the founders of this country established checks and balances in government to limit the impact of sinful behavior. If there is one attitude that you would think would be synonymous with the liberal mind, it would be tolerance. That may have been true in the past. Liberalism championed the idea of free thought and free speech, but that is no longer the case. Liberals have been developing a zero-tolerance culture. In some ways, that has been a positive change. We no longer tolerate racism. We no longer tolerate sexism. The problem is that politically correct culture of the left moved the lines quickly to begin to attack just about any view or value contrary to the liberal mind. Stray it all from the accepted limits of leftist thinking, and you will earn labels like racist, sexist, homophobic, and xenophobic. Quickly, the zero-tolerance culture has become a cancel culture. The left demands that an enemy lose their social standing and even their job and livelihood for deviating from what is acceptable thought. A mendacious social media mob will make sure that you pay a heavy penalty for contradicting the fundamental truths of the liberal mind. One phenomenon that promotes this intolerance is the use of smears and negative labels. For example, patriotism and pride in your country is called xenophobia. Acknowledging the innate differences between males and females is labeled sexist. Promoting the idea that we're all of one race, the human race, and that all lives matter is called racist. Questioning whether we should redefine traditional marriage as deemed homophobic. Arguing that very young children should not undergo sex reassignment surgery is called transphobia, pointing out that the most terrorist organizations come from Muslim terrorists is called Islamophobic. But should Christians be tolerant? Well, the answer is yes, we should be tolerant, but that word has been redefined in society to argue that we should accept every person's behavior. The Bible does not permit that. That is why I like to use the word civility. Essentially, it is the golden rule. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Civility requires humility. A civil person acknowledges that he or she does not possess all wisdom and knowledge. That means that we should listen to others and consider the possibility that they might be right and we could be wrong. Philippians 2.3 says do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. We can disagree with another without being disagreeable. Proverbs 15.1 reminds us that a gentle answer turns away wrath. This is an important principle as we try to understand the liberal mind and work to build bridges to others in our society.